Welcome to Sex, Body and Soul. I'm Kate Roberts, founder of The Body Agency. And on this show, we talk about the marvel that is our bodies, what they can do and what they need to thrive. Ladies out there, our time is now. Let's get to it. Who doesn't have stress? I certainly don't know anyone. It's sadly a given that at some point we are stressed. Often on a day-to-day basis, I know that throughout my entire career, I have felt stress. We don't always realize the havoc that it can play on our bodies and also that it can be fatal. Dr. Amir Rajidan is joining the show today and he's the author of The Stress Proof Life and Cracking the Stress Secret on how to turn our stress into power for our optimal wellness. He studied this for over 20 years and now consults for chiropractic practices, as well as speaking on the subject all over the country. He's won numerous awards and he serves on many boards. Welcome to the show. Dr. Amir, it's so great to have you on the show to talk about something that affects us all, stress. This is the first podcast I've done on stress, and it's something that is so misunderstood. So I'm thrilled to have you here. Welcome. It's an honor. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we are listened to in 33 countries now, and I have traveled to all of those countries, and I just know that every single human being on the planet suffers from some form of stress, anxiety, and it affects us all in different ways, right? I really want to get into those indicators of how stress happens and manifests itself with different humans. But first, let's just get into a little bit about you. You have written three books, The Stress-Proof Life, which is the secret to health, wealth, and happiness, Cracking the Stress Secret, and How to Turn Pressure into Power. Now, I want to read all of those books because I feel that I have been one of those humans that hides all my stress brilliantly. And then it all manifests in my gut. And I still managed to get it all done, but it's going to come out one way or the other, right? Absolutely. Thank you for writing those books. I know that you have had an Amazon number one bestseller in four categories. But more to the point, you've been studying this concept of stress for the last 20 years. And you were telling me that The reason you got into this was so many of your patients would come in and talk to you about this. So let's start there. Why did you decide to write these books and how did they all come about? You know, to to write about something, you have to experience a lot of it yourself. I grew up in Iran during the revolution and then the war. And uh, just just to put the whole stress thing into perspective, one night my parents said, you have to make sure you sleep with the radio on. So I Turned on the radio, went to sleep, and a little after midnight, this loud siren blared through the radio, and we all jumped out of bed and ran down the hallway, ran down the stairs into the basement where everybody else from that building was waiting. And then we heard the roar of this jet plane overhead, and then we heard the whistle of a bomb that had just been dropped. And this whistle is getting louder and louder as the bomb is getting closer and closer. And that is ultimate stress. So that's when your pupils dilate, you turn pale white, blood leaves your fingertips and your toes, your hands and feet are cold, your heart's pounding, blood pressure goes up, digestion stops, and so does your immune system. That's stress. So now, in my case, 
We heard an explosion. The bomb didn't hit us. But that moment as that whistle is getting louder and louder, you have no idea if the bomb is right over your head or if it's a block away. So why did I write this is because I know that the stress I've experienced could have caused two different things, could have made me a better person, could have made me a worse person. And it's about how I used it and how I put it into action, whether I was able to use it to benefit others or not. And yeah, like you said, patients would come to me and say, oh, the reason I'm, in, I'm so sick is because of stress. And the answer is yes, maybe, but it's not directly the stress. What if two people are under the same stress, but one of them gets sick and the other doesn't? One person develops heart disease and the other doesn't, but the stress was the same. It's not the stress, it's the person. And so what if we increase your resilience towards stress? We all are designed and built to adapt to stress. And that's basically what led me to write that book. Oh, so many thoughts. Not that I'm competing with your stress story, but unfortunately, I was actually kidnapped a couple of times, once by Ukrainian mafia and once by Russian mafia. And I always consider myself this strong female activist who is not going to be affected by anything. And because of that experience now, you know, I'm fearless. But I also realized that, and I want to talk about the relationship between stress and trauma, because you can't tell me that that experience in Iran, what were you like, nine, 10, 11? Nine years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I have a lot of Persian friends and at nine, it happened to them. We must be sort of the same age bracket. Trauma and stress, I think, are interlinked. However, I didn't process what happened to me until many, many years later. And then the stress and anxiety like kicked in. Is that what happened to you too? You know, I never did any kind of processing. I just lived it out. I, I will tell you, there was a time when I came back. I was a student at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and I was walking from my part-time job to my dorm room, and as I was passing this construction site, a siren went off. It was 5 p.m., and it was the sound that was supposed to mean quitting time for all the workers to go home, but it was the same tone as the air raid siren. And all of a sudden, I felt a lot of anxiety as if something bad is about to happen. I couldn't figure out why I felt that anxiety. And then I remembered it's the same tone as the air raid sirens. You know, we lived up north by the Caspian Sea, so that area didn't get bombed. So I only experienced that one time in my life. It wasn't a repeat occurrence. Right. Do you know what happened to me? Which, again, I never... So during the kidnappings or the rest of it, of course, I felt fear. It was very scary. It was traumatic but I never really felt stressed. And after I was kidnapped, I was put into a safe house in London, and then I was shipped off to Romania to start a new assignment for the advertising agency I was working on. And when I landed in Romania and started this new job, not really having dealt with everything that had happened, my eyes started to like puff up and I would get like little bumps on my eyelids and little bumps under my eyes. And I was like, okay, this is weird, but I wasn't feeling stressed, right? So I went to the doctor and I was like, I just want to understand what's going on with me. And they did a full examination. He just looked at me and he said, are you stressed? That was the beginning of my sort of understanding of how stress can manifest within you because it's going to come out one way or the other. So back to you. Tell us about your work life. What do you do on a daily basis? Tell us about Dr. Amir. You've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten certificates behind you. So you obviously know what you're talking about. 
what's your day job and what is a typical day for you like? And when somebody comes in to talk to you about stress, what are their usual stories? I start out, you know, doing my personal routine. So I get up pretty early in the morning and do certain exercises, quiet time and whatever else. And I come into the office in the morning and see patients. It's not every single day that I see patients, but it's most days. And, you know, we're pretty busy. We, we see thousands of patients uh, on, a, on a regular basis. But yeah, I see patients who talk to me about stress. Is Usually stress is a secondary thing. People come to me because they don't feel well. And our team of doctors, we run a battery of tests measuring their adaptability to stress. We measure how their nervous system is functioning, whether they're processing information in their environment correctly, whether their brain and body are connected properly. We take digital x-rays, analyze those to see if there's any misalignments in the spine affecting that connection. And then we go to work to make them better. But one of the biggest tests we do is a version of heart rate variability that tells me if in a natural resting state, is your body stuck in fight or flight? Or are you in rest and repair? Or are you balanced between the two? And that's what makes the biggest difference. So usually it's me who initiates the conversation about stress. And then they say, well, yeah, you know, I've been under a lot of stress. And I go, you're not handling it very well. And then our work is never to reduce that stress. Our work has always been, let's make you stronger. Let's make you able and capable of handling that stress better. You know, imagine if I go to the gym to exercise and every time I go, I lift less weight than I did the day before. I'm not going to get stronger. It's only when I add weight, which is stress, respond to that increased load on my body that my body starts to adapt and get stronger. Muscles get bigger. Bones get more dense. That's basically the principle of physiology throughout life. Absolutely fascinating. I want to understand the links of stress to big diseases that we hear about. And the reason I want to do that is right now I have weird symptoms, right? This is real time. As in, I'm about to go and find a doctor like you that can make sure that I don't have some life-threatening disease, right? The reason I'm also, and you bring up like heart disease and the big things that are so prominent in our society these days, which we do know are linked to stress and diet and lifestyle, I want to understand the link of stress and our brain and our nervous system and how it shows up. Where are you based, by the way? Maybe you can be my doctor. I'm on the East Coast of the United States in Frederick, Maryland. Oh, good. All right. Well, I'll be making an appointment because I'm in Washington, D.C. So, and then we'll do podcast number two after we find out what's wrong with me. Very, very sadly, my brother developed Parkinson's disease when he was my age. He also, we have a long history of mental health issues in my family. My mother was bipolar. My father had intense anxiety and depression. And very sadly, my brother ended his life due to not wanting to be a burden. So of course, you know, as the only surviving family member, whenever I get a symptom or if I'm feeling stressed or anxiety, I think I've inherited it, right, from the family, which I think is very real, right? Very, very real. So I want to talk about that. But let's first talk about how do you know you're stressed? Yeah, great question. The common syndrome is dry eyes, dry mouth, dry skin, cold hands and cold feet, a slow digestion where you complain about constipation, 
and a lowered immune system where you're getting frequent head colds and the flu and sinus infections. And those are people who get summer colds. When the weather is warm and they're still catching a cold, that's when you know stress is having a negative impact on you. Now, if I may, there's stages of this, right? So stage one of being stressed is called wired. You're stressed, you're wired. That's anxiety. You know, an example would be, I have a deadline to meet and uh, I got to get this work done. So that's called wired. But then if you stay in that state a little bit longer, and I'm simplifying this, obviously, you move to the next stage, which is wired and tired. That's the person who says to you, I'm too tired to fall asleep, which almost sounds odd, but they, you lie down to go to sleep, but there's a thought that circulates in your brain over and over and over and go, why am I even thinking about this? Because it's not that important, but I can't shut off my brain. But I'm exhausted. When I'm tired, I should fall asleep. It's almost like saying it was raining so hard I didn't get wet. You know, when you're tired, you should fall asleep. So if you can't, you're in that second stage. You've been in this wired state so long that you're now wired and tired. And the last one is just tired. That's the person who falls asleep in a movie. That's the person who might fall asleep listening to this podcast. That's the person who can drink coffee at night and still go to sleep. Their adrenals are shot and they're done. So hopefully that gives you a little picture of what's going on. Then obviously we can get into how that affects cancer and heart disease and things like that as well. Well, that's what I want to talk about next. Let me tell you my symptoms right now. Dry, numb mouth, waves of exhaustion, not being able to sleep at night or go to sleep. Once I get to sleep, I should be okay. Intense brain fog. You know, I mean, listen, my life is definitely not a normal life, right? I run several companies. The podcast is literally a side gig for me. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's gone down. I do a lot of traveling to the developing world. You know, I have a global charity. Not to get personal, but I've had this kind of crazy life for a very long time. And so for me, these things are somewhat normal. But this dry, numb mouth thing, I was talking to a friend about it the other day and he was like, well, maybe you have long COVID. Like the brain fog, like I can sometimes not remember an entire conversation that I've had. With that said, of course, I'm like frantically looking at WebMD and trying to self-diagnose what my problems are. And of course, it can be anything from MS to heart disease. <laughs> it's just, this is what we do, right? Again, stress. I hope it's just stress, right? Let me address the brain fog. So I'm going to give you a scenario because when we're scared, like when I was scared when that bomb was falling, right? The way the body works is its focus becomes survival. And so survival becomes the primitive part of your brain, not the neocortex. Neocortex is where you do all the logical stuff, reasoning, thinking, processing. When that area shuts down and when you're stressed, when you're nervous, worried, scared, anxious, angry, that area shuts down. All the blood goes to the primitive part of your brain, which focuses on fight or flight. I'm going to run away or I'm going to fight somebody. For that reason, it's hard to think clearly. So an example would be, let's say there's a college student who's been up all night studying and they're about to walk into an examination. This exam determines the rest of their life. This exam determines if they can go into, I don't know, grad school or in the profession that they've been dreaming about. This determines the rest of their life. There's a lot of pressure on them. But they've been studying for months and they studied all night and they think they're ready. So this student is walking into the classroom and even though he's nervous, he's still remembering everything. But as he steps into the classroom, he trips in the doorway. The minute he trips, he thinks he's going to fall. He thought, oh, I almost fell. I almost cracked my head open. 
that stress is enough to shut down the neocortex, send all the blood to the primitive centers of the brain, turn on that fight or flight response, and that's when he forgets everything he's been studying. And so brain fog is long-term version of that. Obviously, I'm not discounting it could be long COVID. Certainly, that has been causing a lot of brain fog. But if it's stress-related, oh, for sure, it can do that. That's why when, when I'm driving in you know DC traffic that you're familiar with also more than I am, I always, someone bothers me if someone cuts me off or traffic gets a little crazy, I always say, you're not going to make me have brain fog. You're not going to make me have a poor cognitive function. I say that to myself and then I forgive and I move on and let go because I don't want that response. In yeah, my yeah, brain. yeah. Oh, it's so interesting you say that because as I'm thinking about this podcast, I was driving from Maryland back home and I was thinking to myself and somebody, I think, road raged me, right? And you're absolutely right. You can road rage them back and the only person that really pisses off is yourself. And then you go into what I seem to remember being called the grip. Do you know what I'm talking about with the grip? You get into a state of you've gone past the ability to not have a negative reaction, but we all know that that's going to piss us off, right? That person who road raged us, if we road raged them back, that causes the stress reaction, right? And then that will ruin our day. So I was actually thinking about that as I was driving, really thinking about this topic and how it again affects us all. So let's get back to the link to these awful diseases, right? Cancer, heart attacks, brain disorders, like how, what are the biggies? And then I want to talk about turning our stress into power and turning it around and what the solution is. But what are the risks of holding on to our stress and not dealing with it? The biggest killer right now is heart disease. It's killing more people than even cancer, I believe. And cancer is number two. So I think heart disease and cancer are the biggest ones. But we have to understand both of those have an inflammatory component, which means it's affected by our immune system. And one thing I want to tell everybody, and hopefully this gives them hope, is that your body has cancer in it already. Now, I'm supposed to give you hope when I say that, so listen to the rest of it, because you have an immune system that is focused on detecting cancerous cells in your body, killing those cells, and excreting them. So how wonderful is that? That your body constantly is finding cancer cells, killing them, and the only reason cancer becomes an issue that starts to take over an organ or a body part or the entire body is because the immune system wasn't able to destroy it as fast as it's being produced. Now, you go, okay, but I have a genetic predisposition to cancer. I said, yes, that's true. But it's kind of like saying I have the, uh, I don't know, Instagram app on my phone, but it doesn't come on by itself. I have to turn it on. I have to touch the app for it to start working. And if I don't tap on it, it won't start. It's the same thing. Yes, you have a gene for cancer. Most people do. But guess what? I have a gene for hangovers, but I'm not hungover right now. But I have the gene. Unless I drink a lot. I'm not going to experience the symptoms of a hangover, even though I still have the gene, just like I have the gene for coughing and sneezing, but I'm not walking around coughing and sneezing all the time. That has to be turned on. So you turn on and off those genes and by reducing inflammation in your body. So when it's linked to stress is one of the biggest thing that happens is your body becomes more inflamed under stress and your immune system literally slows down and stops. And that's, so we talked about cancer, but is that exactly what happens with heart disease as well? It's your immune system that instigates it. It's a little more complicated because you have to first understand your brain controls your blood vessels. Literally, think about it. If I get embarrassed, my face will turn red. 
Why? Because the brain told the capillaries in my skin, in my face to open up, dilate, and more blood goes there, I turn red. And when I get scared, my face turns pale white because the brain tells the blood vessels to constrict, pull the blood away. And the reason it does that is because it wants the blood to go to my muscles so that I can run. If blood vessel dilation and constriction is controlled by your brain, then it's all about the nervous system. And where we're under stress, the brain says, I need to pump blood harder because this guy is going to need to run. This guy is going to need to fight. This guy needs his muscles. And so there's constriction of certain blood vessels, dilation of others. That alone can put force on the heart and cause issues. Then again, Always remember there's this thing called cholesterol. Now, everyone thinks cholesterol is a bad thing. There's nothing bad about cholesterol. What you have to understand is if it's produced by your body, it's not necessarily bad for you. What happens is cholesterol is the precursor to every cell membrane in your body. If you go all the way back to cell biology in ninth grade science class where we had to make those models, the membrane of the cell is made up of triglycerides, which is cholesterol. Let's say you hit me with a bat and I get a big bruise on my shoulder. Instantly, my liver is going to produce more cholesterol to help rebuild those cells. If a capillary bursts, same thing. If my blood pressure goes up, my liver will produce more cholesterol to seal those capillaries so that I don't leak out like someone who has congestive heart failure. Cholesterol is the precursor to vitamin D. So if you're vitamin D deficient, you will have more cholesterol in your body because your brain tells your liver, hey, make more cholesterol so we can convert it to vitamin D. Now, when sunlight hits your skin, it converts cholesterol to vitamin D. Cholesterol is also the precursor to every hormone you have, like cortisol, like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone and growth hormone. Everything, the precursor to that is all cholesterol. So if you need more cortisol because you're under a lot of stress, you're going to naturally have more cholesterol in your body. In those states, and I have to give you a disclaimer because I know my attorneys are going to say, don't say this. So listen, number one, everything you hear today, check with your medical doctor before you start or stop any medication. Don't come off your cholesterol medication just because of what you heard, but do some research and talk to your doctor. Reducing cholesterol in times of stress is bad for us because that cholesterol is needed. What about if your cholesterol is high or on the higher side where your doctor is like, oh, okay, your cholesterol is kind of high right now, but not danger levels to the point where you're not on medication? It's supposed to be high. It's supposed to get high when there's a demand on it. It's like a balloon. When you press on the outside, the pressure inside increases as well. And it needs to go up during times of stress so that you can survive. It actually is an act of survival. Now, I'll tell you this. I worked at the National Institutes of Health for two years in Bethesda. One of the studies I was a part of, we checked people's cholesterol every single day. And there's a 20-point jump day to day, which means today your cholesterol could be 190, tomorrow it could be 170, the next day it could be 210, and it could fluctuate by 20 points because it's not a static thing, which means it's very wrong to measure our cholesterol one day out of a year and think that's what it is all the time. Blood pressure is the same. If you put me on a treadmill and have me run and check my blood pressure while I'm running on a treadmill, it should be 200 over 120. You would never say you have high blood pressure, let's lower it, let's give you some drugs to bring down your blood pressure. You'd say, it's because you're running. So when cholesterol goes up, because it's the precursor of the main, most important building block of everything else in your body, it needs to be high. And who determined that those levels are dangerous? There's no study that says lowering cholesterol reduces risk of heart disease. There's never been a study. The only study I ever found, there was one, 
And that came out in 2008, I believe, or 2009. And it said, if you've already had a heart attack, to reduce the risk of a second heart attack, reducing cholesterol may be beneficial. The reason they say may is because the percentage points were low, but it did seem like people lowered their cholesterol after a heart attack had fewer second heart attacks. Here's a question. Both my parents had strokes, both of them. My mother self-medicated her bipolar with alcohol, and I actually think she fried her brain, and her brain basically gave up, and she had a massive stroke, which left her disabled and with dementia, and it was awful. My father also had strokes, but in later in life, right? And he had high cholesterol, and he was sort of managing it with pills. Is that hereditary? You know, it, it's hard to say. If the stroke is because of a blood clot in the brain, it's hard to say what caused that blood clot. Clotting factors can be activated through different mechanisms. A lot of people say inflammation in your arteries will lead to strokes more likely. For example, one of the tests we do is A1C. A1C can predict that heart disease and strokes way better than how much cholesterol you have. Now, A1C does come down when you reduce cholesterol, but it's better when you reduce inflammation in your body. So it's really hard to say. So let me ask you this. Are your patients covered by health insurance? Because this is obviously a bit of a pandemic, isn't it? It is a bit of a pandemic. And certainly I would imagine it's gotten a lot worse since the pandemic. Is it covered by health insurance? And if not, why is it not? Chiropractic care is covered by health insurance. By every health insurance, it's covered by Medicare and Medicaid. However... I refuse to participate with the plans and for the main reason that I know what's best for my patients. And I also know that the reason they deny certain therapies, certain tests and certain procedures is not because it's what's best for the patient. It's because they want to save money. I decided several years ago that I work for my patients. So if you come and see me, you are my boss. The person who pays me is the one I work for. But if all I have to do is fill out a form and dot the I's and cross the T's and I'll get a check in the mail from a third party, who am I really working for? I want to be held accountable by my patients. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot wrong with the health system that we have. Obviously, I'm British. We have a very different system in England where everything is paid for. Listen, I'm a huge believer in filling the gaps in healthcare, right? What are the disparities and how do we fill those gaps? And I see that a lot of these issues that are stress and mental health related are underserved, right? They are underserved. And our national health system is not equipped to be able to deal with it. Now, I have another question for you. There are these executive health plans and you know, an executive will go and pay $25,000 to get checked out from head to toe. And, you know, they want the whole thing, right? You know, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, they're stressed, they have anxiety, they are going at a million miles an hour, they're doing the big steak with the red wine three times a week, and they want to know what they have, right? They want to know what's going on. Is that something that you do? Well, we don't do those executive exams, no, but we do the next best thing, which is teach you how to take care of yourself properly. Now let's get into the solution part of all of this. Obviously, none of us want to be stressed. None of us want to get cancer. None of us want heart disease. We all know we need a good diet. We need to exercise, right? We all know that. 
but what are the prevention tools we should be using and how do we turn our stress into power? Okay, those are two separate questions. So if I may, I want to define the word stress. I don't think there is any good definition out there except this one thing. Stress is a force that causes change in your life. Bottom line, that's it. Stress is like fire. It can cook your food or it can burn your hand. Stress is like money. It can fund terrorist activity or it can put your children through college. Stress is actually like anger. Anger can lead you to commit a crime or it can lead to righteous anger where you step out of a bad situation, you stop doing what you're doing and change your habits and patterns and become whoever else you want it to be. So stress, all it is is a force. It's like gravity. How you respond to it is the change you get and it can result in positive change or negative change, but that change is dependent on you. So the next term we need to define before we get into how to do all this is the word health. What is health? You know, everyone goes, oh, if I look good, I feel good, I'm healthy. It has nothing to do with how you look and feel because you could look fantastic and feel great, but the doctor will find cancer in your body. That doesn't mean you were healthy. The doctor could find heart disease, blocked arteries, and you're like, but I feel fine. Just like a dentist could find a cavity in your tooth and you didn't have any pain. So we cannot define our health by how we look and how we feel. Health is one word, it's function. Perfect and proper function. That means your body is functioning properly. Your immune system is functioning. Your digestive system is functioning. Your hormonal system is functioning. Musculoskeletal system is functioning. All those systems are functioning in cooperation with each other, monitored and controlled by the brain. That's the definition of health. And there's one other word. This word is called wellness. The word wellness has become this buzzword in marketing where everything's wellness, but no one knows what wellness really is. I'm going to tell you what it is. Wellness is how much health and vitality you experience in the three dimensions of life. So you go, what are the three dimensions? One is physical, the other is chemical, and the third one is psycho-emotional. And so those are three dimensions and how healthy you are in each of those dimensions determines your level of wellness. Wellness is not a destination. It's a journey. It's a direction. You can either be moving toward wellness or away from it, but you're not standing still. As long as you're alive, you're not standing still. It's a continuum. A little wellness, a lot of wellness. There's death, there's health. So the three dimensions, it's the same three dimensions of stress. Stress will come to you in three dimensions. There'll be physical stress. If you sit all day at a desk, Postural stress is a serious thing. If you smoke, chemical stress is a serious thing. And if you are constantly bombarded with negativity around you, you have a boss that yells at you all day, you're in rush hour traffic, that's psycho-emotional stress. And so it comes at you in three dimensions. Now, what I want to tell you is very simple formula. One formula, just implement this. I can give you details of all of that and basically open it up for you. But start with this. If you know what the definition of health is, which is that it's a force, and you know what wellness is, is improving yourself in those three dimensions. All you have to know is you have to improve all three dimensions simultaneously. That's it. 1% in each dimension leads to massive change. So I'll give you an example. A study was done. They measured how much life you can add to your life, how many years, by exercising. They found that if you exercise properly your entire life, you only add one to three years to your lifespan. You go, well, that's not much. Why am I exercising? Then they said, if you eat right every day for your entire life, you add one to three years to your lifespan. You go, well, one to three years? You should be adding decades to your life. And then they said, if you have a positive mental attitude, you add five to seven years to your life. So basically, your, your attitude counts more than food and exercise. 
but they never did this one thing. They never said, what if you're doing all three? What if you exercise, you eat right, and you have a positive mental attitude? That's when you add 20, 30, 40 years to your life. You have to improve all three dimensions simultaneously. Each dimension has two sides to it. So it's a physical dimension. One side is exercise, but the other side of the coin is rest. Are you balancing your exercise with rest? Otherwise, that exercise will not benefit you. You're going to run yourself ragged. I have a scientific question for you, a medical scientific question for you. So we go to our regular GP and we have our annual medical, right? And your GP will say to you, well, have you been feeling, you know, what symptoms, you know, any aches or pains? And as a woman, right, you go in and you have to do your annual mammograms and then you have to do, you know, all your checks, your cervical cancer checks. But the one place they don't go ever is your brain. And I just did a podcast about this, actually, you know, brain science and how the brain is completely forgotten and never even looked at on an annual basis, right? And it's so important. Like my biggest fear is losing control of my brain because then I will not be able to do anything, right? It's my biggest fear. But no doctors are really looking into it. What do you believe is missing from our annual medical that a regular GP will do? Perhaps it's something you do. What's missing? Well, a nervous system scan. So it's a two-way communication, right? Not only does your brain need to communicate with the rest of your body, but your body needs to communicate with the brain. A a simple thermal scan around the body will tell you if blood flow is normal in different body parts. Thermography has been able to predict breast cancer years before it starts, years before it can be seen on a mammogram. That's one that's missing. Another one is electromyography around the spine because if there's an imbalance of muscle tone on the sides of your spine, the first thing it does is make you exhausted. So some people are just tired because their body is in a tug of war. The muscles on one side are pulling their body more than the other side. And then certainly another one is heart rate variability, which is a measure of how well you tolerate stress. Now, uh, the fourth one is functional neurologic testing because now we need to see how is your brain receiving information from your body. Here's one simple test. Stand with your eyes closed, march in place for 45 seconds, and see if you turned to the right or left. If you can't stay straight, that means one side of your body is communicating with the brain slower than the other side. So we run neurologic tests like that. I'll have you stand with your eyes closed and I'll watch your sway pattern. Do you sway more to the right or to the left? Is your balance better on one foot than the other? Those are things that tell me how your brain is perceiving information. Mm. Literally everything that happens to you, whether it's an enjoyable experience or an awful experience, it's because it was processed by your brain that way. Mm. Well, watch out because I'm coming in. (laughs) Uh, Watch out for my appointment request, even if I have to pay for it myself, which will bug me because I have great health insurance. I do believe that these things are completely missing. And- It's better to know, right, what is going on with us so that we can treat those symptoms and improve our lifestyle. So I think what you do is fantastic, actually. I really do. And very timely to what I've been thinking about personally. And I think as you reach mid-age, right, and you start thinking about, okay, what does the next 40 years look like? And how do I make that as both prolonged and as healthy and as enjoyable as possible. Like we really have to think about these things and not 
make the same mistakes that our parents did or our peers are doing. This has been absolutely fascinating. And we are sadly at the end of our podcast. It's flown by. I knew it would. Definitely looking forward to receiving your books. I promise you I'll read them. I know our audience will want to do a live Instagram to really talk about this. So let's definitely do that as the podcast launches. And I thank you for your work, Dr. Amir. You are, again, covering something that is so misunderstood and there is a gap that you're filling with your knowledge and brilliance. So thank you for being on the show and for the work that you do. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed it very much. And thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Sex, Body and Soul. Remember, you can find all my favorite products and resources to support your health and sexual wellness through my one-stop shop, The Body Agency. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast listening platform. We are actually partnering up with Vital Voices to get much-needed dignity kits to the refugees in Ukraine. Girls and women do not have access to personal hygiene products that keep them safe and healthy. Please go to thebodyagency.com to donate a dignity kit today. Be sure also to sign up for our email list at The Body Agency for the latest curated recommendations from our industry experts and use our special promotional code podcast10 to get a 10% discount. Thank you for listening.